you guys got your uh, Bibles, I'd invite you to get them out. We are going to be in Revelation, the book of Revelation again this week. Uh, we're up to about uh, chapter 13 now, uh, page 1035 in the church Bibles there. If you need a Bible, just grab one from underneath there. You're, you're going to need one today. Uh, as usual, we have a lot of uh, scripture to cover and we need to have our eyes on there and make sure uh, we're following along or we're going to get kind of confused because we're in uh, some of the most confusing passages of the entire Bible here and we've arrived at some of the most well-known verses in scripture, um, some of the most speculated upon verses of scripture as well. So like some of the most well-known but least understood parts of the Bible is what we find ourselves in the middle of right now. You might see in your Bible as you look at Revelation chapter 13, uh, the, the section headings in there, one called the first beast and then called the second beast. And let me just uh, remind us of exactly where we are in the story. Uh, catch you up just a, for a second on what's happened. We are uh, in the middle of Daniel's, uh, actually just past the middle of Daniel's 70th week, 500 BC. God showed the prophet Daniel some things about what was going to happen both at the time that he was living in the kingdom of Babylon. Uh, he was a captive and an exile there for his whole life mostly. And uh, he, God gave him a vision of the, the end times, not just what's going to happen next about Babylon being replaced by some other kingdoms in Daniel's time, but what's going to happen at the end? And he, he tells Daniel there's this time at the end where God's going to wrap up this whole story, and that time is going to be seven years long. And we find ourselves in the story of Daniel's 70th week, as it's called, or, or the final seven years of this this age, we find ourselves here in the story, the seals of the seven-sealed scroll in chapter 6 have been opened, and we are now well past the, the halfway point in Daniel's seven years, and we are getting close to the end, and we read in chapters um, 8 and chapters 9, God has sent his warnings onto the earth already about what's coming. It's much like uh, when he was uh, doing his work in Egypt and his people were enslaved there and God sent plague after plague to kind of get the people of Egypt's attention, to get Pharaoh's attention, you know, let my people go. And he slams them with some, uh, you know, water turned to blood and locusts and frogs and fly, all kinds of things trying to get their attention, warnings, um, same th kind of thing is, is going on here in the end, and God is sending these announcements. He's sending these warnings, and he's sending them at, uh, in the form of or at the call of uh, seven trumpet blasts. And we see in chapter 8, the first four warnings are given, the first four of the seven trumpets. Just flip back a page in your Bible if you're not there already. Chapter 8, you can see in verses 7 and 8 and 9 and 10, the effects on the earth of those warnings. Incredible damage to the environment. The trees, the grass, the sea, the fresh water, all are, all are a mix of like either damaged or destroyed. And the lights in the sky are even somehow darkened at this time. And then have a look at the last verse of chapter 8, verse 13. It says, Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are 
about to blow. There's three left, and hey, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. As if the destruction of the earth is not bad enough, nature has been devastated, it looks like it's possible that a third of the surface of the earth will have become really almost uninhabitable at this point. But reality is God is only getting started. And it's kind of like the uh, eagle is uh, saying, you, you thought the first four trumpets were bad? You ain't seen nothing yet. Right? Wait till you see what happens when the last three trumpets are sounded. And these last three trumpets are given the designation of three woes. You can see the word, uh, <clears throat> the word there in the end of chapter 8, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. That word, used, uh, that word woe is used actually 46 times in the New Testament. Nine of those times it's translated alas instead of woe. And really, reality is it's, it's used mostly by Jesus in the Bible. Most of those times are Jesus saying this word, either alas or woe. He's, he uses it a lot when he's talking to the Pharisees and other leaders of the Jewish people and condemning them for their unawareness of what's going on and how they were leading the people astray. It's also used several times, actually, in Revelation 18, we're going to get to it, wherein it's describing the destruction of Babylon the Great. It's an exp exclamation of grief, is what it is. It means horror or disaster. And so the eagle is announcing three horrors that are about to come on those who dwell on the earth. In Revelation verse 1, the, the first woe, the first horror, the fifth trumpet, and the fifth trumpet, a fifth angel blew his trumpet in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And then we have a description of that warning. I'm not going to get into that today. Um, we've talked about that kind of stuff before, crazy stuff. But you can see in verse 12, the end of that first woe, it's, it says, The first woe is past. Behold, behold, two woes are still to come in chapter 9, verse 12. And then you can see in chapter uh, or sorry, verse 13, the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and then you flip over to chapter 11, verse 14, you can see the second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So in the next verse, we see the seventh trumpet blast. We see the trumpet blast that's going to announce the third woe. And we see as soon as it's blown, there's a declaration that the time of the rulers and kingdoms of this world, that, that time has come to an end. And the warnings are over. It's time to wrap this thing up, is the idea. It's time for what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. God's prophets wrote about this in many places in the Bible. It's one of the most foundational promises of God to His people and to the world. It's the day when the God of creation, the God who formed the universe by the word of his power, the God who created Adam and Eve and placed them in paradise, the God who saw his people fall for a lie and turn against him, the God who has suspended his judgment on us rebels and poured out his mercy on us instead, the God who in his great patience has endured with our evil while he forged a way to bring his people back to himself. The God who came down from heaven to declare his will to his newly created nation at the foot of Mount Sinai. The God who came again to die in the place of his people this time. To die that his people 
so that his people could live. The day of the Lord is the day when that God who did all of those things will one day again descend from heaven to earth, but this time not as a helpless baby born to die in the place of his enemies, but this time as a conquering king to destroy his enemies. That's what he's coming back to do. This is all through the Bible. Isaiah says, Who is this who comes from Edom in crimsoned garments from Basra? He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation, and my wrath upheld me. I trampled down the people in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. Zephaniah 1 says, Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice and consecrated his guest. On that day of the Lord's sacrifice, I will punish the officials and the king's sons and all who array themselves in foreign attire. On that day, I will punish everyone who leaps over the threshold and those who fill their master's house with violence and fraud. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps and I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. Their goods shall be plundered and their houses laid waste. The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty man cries aloud. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and battle cry against fortified cities and against the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on the day of the wrath of the Lord. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end he will make of all the inhabitants of the earth." Have a good week. <laughs> That's uh, pretty severe, eh? That's what, it, that's what God says, though, is in store for his rebellious fallen creation and his rebellious fallen men. And here in Revelation, at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the wait is over. The day of the Lord is finally about to dawn on creation. And here now in Revelation 12 and 13, we hear the story of the third woe, and we see the final setup for the climax of the end of the age and the arrival of the king to take his kingdom. 
We see God showing his promises here in the, right at the end of chapter 11. The God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. God's showing his promises in revealing the ark. Just a reminder, given that everything's about to happen, he wants everybody to know, this is my idea. Uh, this is all according to my plan. Isaiah wrote, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. The idea is that God's word has always and will always prove to be true. And when we see God's promises coming true in the story, we're going to see them right now. We see them coming true in the story of the woman and the dragon. We've covered some of this already. The story of how God, after the woman had given birth, protects and preserves both her and her child. We talked about how this is a story of the first coming of Jesus. And God was totally able to fulfill his promises regardless of the opposition of the dragon. The child escapes the dragon and the woman escapes the dragon in the first part of the story in Revelation 12, 1-6. And it's then we read about the third woe. Satan and his followers cast out of heaven. It says this, now the war arose in heaven and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent who is called the devil, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down and accuses, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you on earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. God's host in heaven has been waiting this, for this for a long time, right? Satan, the devil, Diabolos is the name. It means a slanderer. He has been shooting his mouth off in heaven since the beginning, calling into question everything God says and casting doubt on all his followers and throwing condemnations around, trying to deceive and woo even the host of heaven, leading his followers in the insurrection of heaven. Well, the prophets have already said that his days are numbered. Isaiah said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the Mount of Assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. You are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Ezekiel says, God says of Satan, so I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you. And here, John gets to see the day, the day when that finally happens. And Satan running around, chirping all the time. And the guy's like, that's enough. One day, that's enough. Get this guy out of here. 
And Michael and the armies of heaven that he leads will take that accuser, the slanderer, the father of lies, and all his cronies, and they will be banished from God's presence forever, just like Adam and Eve were banished in the beginning. There's a big difference, though, right? Adam and Eve were banished to wait for God's salvation to come. The devil and his followers will be banished to wait for their judgment to come. And they know it. Because look what it says. Because uh, this may be good news for heaven, but woe to you on earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. What is the first thing that, the, that Satan does when he loses the war in heaven? You can read it at the end of chapter 12 there. He goes after the woman again. But just like before, God protects and preserves the woman. His plans and efforts to destroy the people of God, that's who the woman represents, God's people, God's chosen nation, Israel. His plans to destroy the people of God are frustrated again. And look at verse 17. It's where we left off last week. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. He's even angrier now. So what does he do? He was angry when he fell from heaven, got cast out. And then he's even angrier when he goes after the woman and can't get her. And he goes off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Satan, the loser of the war in heaven, turns his war efforts onto the earth. And this war that starts here will grow and encompass and involve one day, the whole world. This is the beginning of the final conflict of history. This war will grow until its conclusion, the conclusion of the last battle, what's commonly called the Battle of Armageddon. We're seeing the setup for it right now. And here John is going to get a glimpse into what the devil's war plan is for the end of the age. Let's look at the plan. The end of verse 17 left us with the uh, defeated and frustrated and very angry Satan standing on the sand of the sea. He's on the beach. Sea on one side and land on the other. And he's waiting. Well, what's he going to do? Well, we, we can see it's going to involve uh, two beasts. Verse 1 says, John is going to see a beast rising on one side of Satan out of the sea. And verse 11 says John is going to see another beast rising on the other side of Satan out of the earth. <clears throat> Let's uh, read the story of these uh, two beasts. Let's read Satan's war plan for the end of the age. Let's read about the God of this age as he tries one last time to defy the power of God's will and God's word. Chapter 13 says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And, it, and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? 
And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It, opens its, it, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it is allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And the authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the, lamb, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and make the, makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Pretty uh, familiar little pieces of verses in there. I don't know if you ever kind of read the whole thing through, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff in there that gets a lot of press these days. And uh, quite a story, quite a war plan. Let's unpack this a little bit, and you'll see it's actually pretty straightforward what's happening here. First of all, we talked about these two chapters, 12 and 13 in Revelation, being some of the more allegorical parts of this book of Revelation. That's why it's being told with signs and beasts. All of these signs um, represent uh, two things each. Uh, all of the, 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 they represent two separate but related things. Each sign represents both a group of people and a single person, okay? Each sign represents a group of people and also at the same time represents a single person. The woman represents Israel and Mary, right? the one who actually gives birth to the Messiah. The dragon represents the fallen host of heaven and their leader, Satan. The sea beast, we're going to see, represents a kingdom and a king. And the land beast, we'll find out, represents a religion and its prophet, okay? Now, given all that, let me just kind of summarize the story here. Verse 1, have a look. The, the Antichrist and his kingdom will arise out of the nations. Verse 2, Satan will give his power to this king, to the Antichrist. Verse 4, the world begins to worship the beast and the dragon. In verse 5, the beast is given authority to rule the world and conquer the saints for 42 months. 
Verse 11, after that, the land beast will arrive on the scene. You, you might know him by another name, hey? He's, he's later in Revelation called the false prophet, okay? Revelation 19.20 says, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. So this, this beast from the earth is what is known, becomes known later as the false prophet, Anyway, while the world is under the rule of the Antichrist, marveling at him and following him, this false prophet arises and ups the ante considerably on the earth. Verse 12, his job is to mandate the worship of the first beast. In verse 14, he tells the worshipers of the beast to make an image of the beast. Verse 15, the false prophet then somehow gives breath to the image that's been created, and then somehow the image speaks, and when the image speaks, the result is those who refuse to worship it are slain. It also does one more thing in verse 16, it makes everyone take a mark, a mark of allegiance to the beast, a mark on the right hand or the forehead, a mark without which no one will be able to buy or sell. Somehow this mark that people are going to be coerced and threatened to take is connected directly to the worship of the first beast. And verse 17 says the name of the beast or the number of its name is going to be the mark. Okay, let's back up and just talk about a couple more things in this chapter. We're not going to be able to cover everything today, but I just want to highlight a couple of things. Go back to the beginning of the chapter and look at this description that's given the first beast. Okay, it's described as having ten horns and seven heads. It has a diadem on each of its horns and a blasphemous names on its heads. Okay, there's a lot of symbolism in this description, okay, but we're not going to get into all of it today. Uh, you know, what the diadems and the horns and etc. mean. Um, there's a much more clear connection to make here so that we can get what is going on with this beast, okay? So just leave your finger in Revelation 13, if you would, and look back at Daniel chapter 7, okay? It's page 744 in the church Bibles. Daniel is Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Daniel's after Ezekiel, those three big books in the, about the center of your Bible. Just to the right of those is Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. This is Daniel's uh, first vision and let's uh, see what he sees in this dream he sees uh, four beasts coming out of the sea Oops, sorry i gotta get my own bible here daniel saw a dream and visions in his head as he lay in his bed then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter daniel declared I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. What's the first one? The first one was like a lion. The second one in verse 5, and behold, another one, a second one, like a bear. And the third one, verse 6, and after this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard. The fourth beast, verses 7 and 8, Dan, Daniel doesn't uh, compare it to an animal, doesn't recognize it as anything comparable or, or there's anything to compare it with. He just calls this beast terrifying, 
dreadful, and exceedingly strong. Okay, now just glance back at Revelation verse 2. How does John describe the beast from the sea? The beast that I saw was like a leopard, and its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. What were the first three beasts again that came out of the sea for Daniel? A lion, and a bear, and a leopard. Okay? Here's another thing. Actually, how many heads does John's beast have? Seven. It has seven heads, right? Seven heads total. Um, how many heads do the four beasts in Daniel have? There's four beasts, so there's going to be four. But how many heads does the third beast have? It has four itself. So you add up all the heads in chapter 7 of Daniel, there's uh, seven heads on the four beasts. How many horns does John's beast have? Ten. How many horns does Daniel's four beasts have altogether? Well, only one has horns. It has ten. It seems like this beast that John is now seeing coming out of the sea is some kind of combination of the beast that Daniel saw. You, you see that? Okay, there's a lot of crossover between uh, what God showed Daniel all those years ago and what Jesus is showing John here in the story of the two beasts. Just like God showed Daniel through his visions of beasts, his, his plan for the unfolding of the coming kingdoms of this world in Daniel's time, Jesus is showing John God's plan for the final kingdoms of this age. And we see that the final kingdom, the kingdom of the sea beast, the Antichrist, is going to be a combination, it seems, of the kingdoms that God showed Daniel. Three of those kings are clearly identifiable in Daniel's writings. They're the kingdoms of Babylon, Persia, and Greece. So it would appear that the final kingdom is made up, the final kingdom that the Antichrist is going to rule is going to be made up of those three kingdoms in combination with a fourth beast, the one with the ten horns. It seems like that's what's going to be going on here. A couple more things. Uh, look at verse uh, 3 of Revelation chapter 13. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. There are a few theories here on what exactly this means and what exactly is that, that happens, but it seems whatever it is that happens, it amazes the whole world. Okay, Look down at verse uh, 14. John is writing about how the second beast is making the people worship the first beast, and he says about the first beast that it was wounded by the sword, yet lived. Somehow, the first beast is some kind of mortal wound. What, what's a mortal wound? It's a wound that's unsurvivable, right? A mortal wound is a wound that kills. But apparently, this beast does not die from this wound, and that leaves the world marveling and worshiping the beast. Again, a, a lot of theories on that. Um, we'll have to come back to that maybe, or maybe we'll cover that in a, one of the Wednesday classes. Um, I'd love to hear everybody's ideas on exactly what's going on there. There's a, there's a lot of different uh, theories on that. Um, we'll know one day. There's, a, there's a, also verse 18 
Right? Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, his number is 666. Okay, I know exactly what that is here, I'm going to tell you. Yeah, right, no, I wish I knew what that was. Nobody knows what that is yet, right? What's this? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows yet. I, I, can we be okay that there are some things that we don't understand about God's plan until closer to the time, okay? We don't have to know every single mystery of all time today, We'll know it when we need to know it. I mean, we already have a few of those things in Revelation that we've just kind of had to take at face value and not get too bent out of shape on exactly what's going on. I mean, if you know what's going on in chapter 9 with the trumpets 5 and 6, the first two woes, if, if, if you know what the scorpion locusts with fire in their tails and women's hair and lion's teeth are, or if you know what the, the horses that breathe out smoke and sulfur and have serpent tails can you please call me this week? Because I'd really like to get cleared up on all of those things because I'm not sure what they are. Well, it's the same here. There's some ideas of what's going on, but we don't know yet, but we will. So what's going on with this whole story? Well, here's something to think about. Satan is a counterfeiter, right? He's, he's a faker. He's an imposter. And he wants to be God that we already read those verses in Ezekiel and Isaiah, but he's trying to ascend to take God's place. And he wants to be God, so he presents himself in this world as a possible God, as an angel of light, as somebody with great power and authority. And he wants to be the object of worship. He wants God's place in creation. And what we see here is, when the devil is finally kicked out of heaven, he sets up his own counterfeit trinity is what he's doing the dragon satan lotus gives his power to the first beast in verse 2 and they are worshiped together says in verse 4 and then the second beast arrives and he's all about the worship of the first beast and instead of our father giving his authority to the son and the holy spirit then glorifying the son we see the dragon setting up himself as God and giving the Antichrist his authority and the false prophet glorifying the Antichrist. Okay, here's the thing. When this unholy trinity is finally assembled on the earth, things are not going to go well with anyone who opposes their scheme. Pretty clear in verse 7. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Verse 15, anyone not adhering to their program will be slain. And notice, this is God's plan. God's not going to stop it. Look again at verse 7. It's God who's giving the go-ahead for all of this. It was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And look at verse 10. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. God is giving a warning to his people. He's giving a warning to us. God says a very similar thing back in Jeremiah's day. Okay? Jeremiah is prophesying about the coming destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. And he's, he's asking God, God, will you relent on this coming judgment? And God's like, uh, no, no, I won't. It's too far gone now. Judgment is coming. Jeremy's like, is there any way anyone can escape God? 
God says, basically, it's too late for that. He says, when they ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, and those who are for the sword to the sword, and those who are for famine to famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. And he's saying the same thing here. It means God is not going to stop this. God is going to give the go-ahead for this plan of Satan's. He's not hiding it. Okay? He's not saying, he says, if anyone has an ear, remark, remind you of the chapter 2 and 3 in his letters to the churches. If anybody has an ear, listen. He says, here's a call for the endurance of the saints. You're just going to have to live through this. This is going to be terrible. But it has to be done. And the only way is endure through it. Band's going to come. I'm going to sing. Let me just remind you of something one more time. I said it a couple times, but this is all under God's control. This, the, the, the end of the age is not a time of chaos that God lets run wild until He stamps it out with His big fist. He's not surprised by any of it. In fact, He's the one ordaining all of it. And the beast that crawls out of the sea and the beast that crawls out of the earth may find themselves at the foot of the dragon to do his will, but remember who is standing over all of them. Remember back in chapter 10, before John sees any of those beasts, Jesus himself coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire, and he sets his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land, and he calls out with a loud voice like a roaring lion, and he raises his right hand to heaven and swears by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, and earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And Satan has been thrown out of heaven, and he's landed on the beach, and his cronies have made their way to him, but our king towers over all of them. He's in charge of all of it, and I don't know what has captured your eyes this week in this crazy world, whether the darkness and the impending arrival of the dragon and his beasts has captured your heart. Are you looking around at this world in fear and anxiety? Are we like Jeremiah looking for an escape and worrying that there might not be one? I think a lot of us are having a hard time not being consumed with the trials and troubles of this fleeting world and our fears of more coming our way. And it is hard. Everything seems so unknown and unprecedented these days. It, it's hard not to get consumed trying to figure out what to do and where to run and how do I hide and what do I need to plan for and everywhere we look it just seems that there's going to be trouble. It's, un it's unescapable. Our eyes just focused in fear sometimes on the sea and the land, just waiting for the arrival of the beasts. Let me encourage you today. I've got some good news today. No matter where your head is swiveling around to in this crazy world these days, look up. 
Get your eyes on the king because he is still standing in power and glory over all of it. The little trinity that the devil assembles at the end of the age is nothing. He will puff and blow, and yes, many will fall, but our king is not worried, and he will save every single one of us who put our faith in him, and he'll save us for eternity. Our bodies may perish, but we will live forever, right? And the dragon can do nothing about it, no matter how angry he gets. Our king will win because he is the only one proclaimed in heaven to be worthy of it all. Counterfeit gods and kings have no place in the kingdom of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb of God, because he is the one who conquers not only this world, but sin and death and self. And if he can do that, he can do anything. And no, no pretender to the throne is going to stand in the end. The song of heaven will be sung for the Lamb. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come and worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That song will be sung. Let's sing some of it now. <laughs> 